Welcome to Ghostly. Is the curse of the ninth real? Ghostly is a podcast that comes out every other week. In each episode, we take a ghost story or paranormal event and look into its complete history. Rebecca then gives us evidence proving that the story is real. And my job is to debate those pieces of evidence and get you, the listener, prepared to vote on if it's real or not. If you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. And uh, I'm Rebecca and he's Pat. Absolutely. (laughs) You sound very unsure about that. Yes. Well, one thing I am not unsure about is that we will be at C2E2 on August 6th at 5.30 doing a panel with the great Scott Larson. Absolutely. We are so excited. It's the Chicago um, Landmarks, Historic Landmark Hauntings. Chicago Haunted Landmarks. There it is. Yes. (laughs) I threw in the historic (laughs) in there. No, I'm super excited to talk about all the awesome ghostiness around Chicago while also uh, looking at all the fun cosplayers and meeting the celebrities and... It's going to be super fun. It is definitely going to be fun. We always enjoy C2E2, but what would make us enjoy it even more is if you came. So we would love to have you there if you're in the Chicagoland area, and if not, just hop on a plane. <laughs> just right? fly here. Just and fly then, here. That's all you got to do. Or drive. I mean, whatever. Yeah. you know. And then pay for C2E2. Yeah. And then we're free once you paid. Yeah, absolutely. You can just so, you know, come yeah, by. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so... This is our 99th episode, Rebecca. That is crazy. And uh, we thought we'd try to keep with that theme and talk about the curse of the ninth. Ah, curse of the ninth and the 99th episode. Absolutely. Love it. Of course, we're not talking about podcasts, though, right? So we're not cursed. Uh, We are talking about the symphony. Yeah. um, The concept of this episode came from the person who plays the intro and outro And almost all the classical piano that you hear on Ghostly, Rebecca's brother, Michael Rivers. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, we really appreciate all that he's done for us. And when he brought up this concept, I was like, we have to do it. I mean, we did the 27 Club, right? We did. It's it's somewhat similar. I should say very similar, but it's, it's similar. Yeah, I will note that I don't know much about classical music or the symphony. <laughs> I, I And I'm not going to say that I know a lot. Maybe it's a little bit more. Uh, we're going to try our best with everything. But we did consult yes. with uh, with Mike on this. So, yeah. you know, he um, definitely gave us a lot of information. He tried to help me with pronunciations today. Yes, because... So we're um, going to do our best. Yeah, because I am not a classical buff, so I do not know how to pronounce a lot of these names, and I will butcher them up. So Rebecca's going <laughs> to help in that department. <laughs> yes. This is going to be a really interesting episode as far as that goes. We are all going to learn, and it's going to be fun. So there are two ways to get shout-outs on Ghostly, but we don't have either of those. Uh, so one of the ways is to give us a five-star review or any review on Apple Podcast. Um, the second way is to become a member on Patreon. Uh, you just go to ghostlypodcast.com and click on the Patreon link in the menu bar. Um, we have a lot of different tiers to choose from. 
I'm sure one that will fit your budget. Absolutely. And uh, some of those tiers will get you to uh, Ghostly X, which is our other podcast that we have just for Patreon listeners or subscribers, I I should say. And uh, we actually, we mentioned Scott Larson that we're going to be uh, speaking with him at the panel at C2E2. We did an interview with him on a Ghostly X episode a few episodes ago that was really interesting. Yeah, he has so, super interesting ideas on the paranormal and what absolutely. happens after you die. Like, you know, we get into all the like philosophical fun. Yeah, we don't have to stick to one topic then. That's right. really interesting. Then. We can talk about all different stories. He's he's an expert on Chicago cemeteries. Why would you say that? Because that is what he writes his comic book about. Oh, what's his comic book called? It's called Visitations. Oh, Visitations. And it is the story of the history or it's the story of Chicago as told through the residents of its oldest cemeteries. Oh, wow. So it's really, he, he like has like these, like it's a crime fighting team, but it's like the characters are the characters from cemetery monuments. Yeah. It's really weird. Anyways, he's, so he knows a lot about the cemeteries. He told us all about them. So uh, if you, if you check on Patreon and you pick a tier that has ghostly X attached to it, you'll get to hear that interview plus a ton more. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I've got some listener mail. Oh, awesome. All right. So we've got um, the second part of Damon. Okay. So remember, um, not, our, not Damien. Not Damien. Damon. Okay. So in the last episode, he told us a story, super creepy. Sounded like his sister was like astral projecting or something was going on. Or just changed her clothes. and. No, super creepy. Uh, anyways. Okay. So this is another story that involves his sister. Okay. <laughs> okay. So he says, my second experience also involved my sister, Kat, or Kate. Uh, One morning, Kate and I had woken up early before the rest of our family. I heated up some waffles for the both of us. What a Mm. nice brother. wonder if they were egos. I'm sure they were egos. Okay. I mean, I guess I don't know, but I would imagine. My brother would have never done that for me. Well, I just want to say that Ego is not a sponsor of Ghostly, but they could (laughs) be. They could be. I'm sorry. My brother is very good at playing piano, but he would not have made me waffles as kids. (laughs) No, I'm sure he would if I had asked him. All right. I heated up some waffles for both of us, and we sat down at the dining room table to eat. I noticed something out of the corner of my eye as I was pouring syrup on my waffles. I looked directly across the table from me and saw a hand moving side to side. What? I remember thinking I was imagining it. I had thought to myself I shouldn't say anything because I didn't want to scare my sister. As soon as I finished the thought, my sister yelled out, Damon, look, a hand. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. She was seeing it too. I decided to go to the other side of the table and see the hand up close. My body felt heavy as I got closer to it. I didn't let the hand leave my sight until I looked under the table. There was nothing else but the hand. As I lifted my head back up, it was gone. Oh, wow. Well, I usually will not, you know, debate anything in, in you know, these listener mail things. Uh-huh. But this one, I feel the urge to. Oh, okay. Because obviously... You just needed to say Lego my ego. <laughs> and then it would have been gone completely. Right? That's the magic words for Lego the, my ego. Lego my ego and then the, the hands go, yeah. go away. Yeah. 
don't know. That's what always happens when you make egos is that somebody tries (laughs) to steal them. Well, I think it sounds like a parallel dimension to me. But uh, Mm. (laughs) anyways, thank you, Damon, so much for sharing those stories with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, we always want to hear your stories. I won't always make silly remarks, although for most of them I will probably. (laughs) Um, But you can send us a story at uh, email at info at ghostlypodcast.com or use the contact us form on ghostlypodcast.com if you forget info. Uh, Or one of our favorite ways is to actually get stuff in the mail. It's been a little bit since we've actually had something in the mail. We love mail. And that would be P.O. Box number 264, Geneva, Illinois, 60134. Don't bother writing that down. It's at the footer on our website, ghostlypodcast.com. Just scroll to the bottom and you'll see it. All right. So, so no polls this time. No, of course there's polls. What? There's always polls. Well, Why? I mean, most of the time there's polls. Why do we do so many polls? Well, because that's, I mean, that's what we do. We, we, that's like, that's the ghostly thing. That's is like, like the concept. That's the concept. So I'm guessing right. we should have some polls on Pap's mansion. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm thinking. Yes. Yeah. Um, and are you ready for these results? No, never. I'm never ready for the results. <laughs> but just go ahead, rip the Band-Aid off. All right. Well, yes was 30.8%. Oh, wait, that would... So none, or no, sorry, not none, no, six, six, 69.2. Nine. Yes. Whew. Wow. Yeah. So you won that one. I haven't won one in a little bit, so yeah. that's that's really good. Now, I, what was the overall rating? I, wait, I have a feeling I'm going to win this one uh, oh, today. Oh, okay. So. Well, we'll see. So, you know, you should definitely go vote. I won the 27 Club, so. Yeah, you should definitely go vote. Go to ghostlypodcast.com. Click on um, the polls button at the top there. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, the overall rating, people could now vote on how haunted they believe something is. One being not haunted at all, ten being the most haunted place ever. We had a four point zero eight. So that's actually a little high, like for especially yeah. for something being a no. I mean, people said no, but it wasn't like a strong no, is what there I. There was would a say. couple of votes that people said no and gave it ten. So I'm, I don't understand that. I don't know. I'm I think taking what it, they're though. saying is, I am confident that it was not haunted, so I gave it a ten. Oh, I but see. But that's not how this works. Gotcha. It's the overall rating. So, gotcha. yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, are you ready for a ghost story? Absolutely. It's time for a spooky tale from Rebecca. I have done everything I can, but I fear that it is not enough. The curse has decided to come for me. My daughter Mariah has died, and my wife has found a younger man, though I suppose she is at my side for now. I saw what happened to those before me who tempted fate, who tried to go beyond what we are capable of. The music now is tempting fate, and so have I. Our Beethoven could not finish his tenth. Many do not even get that far. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I hatched a plan. I wrote a ninth symphony, but I didn't call it my ninth or even a symphony. So I dared to write a ninth and call it so. And I have lived. But in my grief over my daughter, I decided to tempt the gods and write a tenth, calling it the ninth. But they, they seemed to have known. I fell ill in New York and have tried in vain to get better. Alma brought me to Paris to a sanitarium, but so far there has been no improvement, and I must say I fear the worse. The curse has found me, and I will join my Mariah soon. I beg all future composers, learn from my mistakes. All right, so that was completely made up then. No, that is based on something that happened to one of the people we're going to talk about today. Who? Mahler. Mahler. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. I, I, I look forward to it. But uh, before that comes the Pat Facts. Pat Facts! We are excited to announce a new way you can support Ghostly. Joining us on Patreon. There are many reasons to become a patron. Not only are you helping Ghostly cover its own cost, but you can get Ghostly episodes early. You can get up to 25% off Ghostly gear. Get a shout out on the next episode. You can get a priority request for a new episode. Get more Rebecca's creepy bedtime stories. And the biggest news, you can get exclusive content with our new show called Ghostly X for the weeks that Ghostly does not have a new episode. As well as many more cool rewards that we can't wait to share with our patrons. So please, Help us become the podcast that we've always wanted to be. You can sign up by going to ghostlypodcast.com and clicking on the Patreon link on the menu bar. All right, so we are back, and the Panfax are sponsored by Tarot by Ta. Ta is a professional tarot card reader with over 20 years of experience. He reads at num- numerous public events, private parties, and personal appointments throughout the greater Chicagoland area. He also does his readings worldwide using online services like Zoom. And the best part of it all is he's hashtag team skeptic. <laughs> so, I mean, a lot of people ask us, how can he be team skeptic and be a tarot card reader? And he explained it to us. He said that sometimes he cannot explain things that are happening and um, that it's still, you know, it's it still has an impact on the person. Absolutely. And he still, even if, if it's not mystical, he still believes the cards are helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to find out more about Ta, Visit and like his Facebook page at facebook.com 
slash tarobaita, and you're going to put that in the show notes, right? Absolutely. All right. So let's get into the pet facts then. So this is going to be a very interesting one because people have told me, Rebecca, Mm -hmm. that I am bad at pronouncing things. (laughs) Yes. So you've mentioned. So anytime that I'm struggling with one of these things, I'm going to point to you and you're going to pronounce that word. All right. And it's mostly going to be names, right? Probably, but we'll see. So, yeah. Uh, So the first part of this, though, is I was, you know, I think I know what a symphony is, but I wanted to be sure. Because Mm -hmm. to me, it's like, it's all classical music to me is a symphony, kind of, but it's not true. Right. Well, plus we have to remember, so there's like, we get, this gets confusing. So there's symphony that is a musical form, like like a piece. And then it got so popular that the, the, the group that plays symphonies are sometimes also called a symphony, even though, oh, I mean, they're also an orchestra. Like, you go see the symphony. Yeah. You're thinking of it like the group of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's an orchestra. Okay. I mean, you can call it a symphony. I mean, well, it's a I, symphony orchestra, you know, whatever you want to call it. But we're talking about the, the music. Yeah, I did get a definition of it. A symphony is an elaborate musical composition for a full orchestra. Exactly. Uh, it is typically four movements, and at least one of those is a... Sonata. Sonata, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, the, yeah, um, uh, it's very... Um, I'm sure you're you know, going to talk a little bit more about some of these things, but um, it's definitely a very structured piece. Yeah, Like absolutely. there are rules in order for something to be called a symphony. Well, now it is. We're going to get into that. I, yeah, exactly. So, uh, symphonies emerged from Italy's Neapolitan school, founded by... Alessandro Scarlatti. Thank you, Rebecca. As overtures for operas around the 1700s. The word symphony comes from... Sinfonia. Sinfonia, derived from the Greek sin, meaning together, and phona, meaning voice or sound. It meant playing together, the perfect name for this new genre, right? Yeah, definitely. So in the early 18th century, Czech composer... Johann Stamitz <laughs> wrote and conducted several... Sonatas. For the famous Mannheim Orchestra. Uh, extending the sonata form to four movements, thus creating the blueprint of the symphony. Yes. But back then, they were typically used to back up a soloist. So, like a vocalist in opera. Uh, That's why I get this so confused. Because, like, to me, an opera is a symphony. It sounds like it. Yeah. But it's not. It's not. But it's not. But it started off that way. Or a soloist in a concerto. Mm -hmm. Um, So. Joseph Haydn. Joseph Haydn appreciated the symphony's potential to accompany the magnificent spectacles of fireworks shows and grand balls, where he was the court composer. In total, he composed 108 symphonies. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's that's something. That's impressive. (laughs) Uh, After 108 works, Haydn had mastered the classical symphony form. The first movement... Allegro. Was fast and lively, followed by a slow... Andante. The third movement... (laughs) Minuet and and trio. Of dance suites. 
uh, led to the finale, which was lively and bombastic. Oh, yes. I love that word. Mm -hmm. Uh, With this, he propelled the symphonic form to the forefront of musical creation. Yeah, so a symphony follows, again, a traditional symphony follows the allegro, like a fast kind of lively start, then it slows down, then it's like a dance-ish kind of, you know, section, and then the last is like that, you know, big bombastic ending that we all love. I will say for anybody that has not heard a symphony, um, when you go to the symphony, right, you will get a playbill kind of thing, right? And you will try to follow it, and it will say that this piece is slow and this piece is fast, and that's how I judged it. And I was like, okay, well, yeah, we went through a slow one, so now this is obviously the fast one. No, I was totally wrong. It just kept going and going and going. Well, now, I think what you saw, too, though, was not an actual no. like symphony piece. It was the previous way but not the more modern way. Right. I mean, yeah. like there's all kinds of classical music. Yes, yes. Oh, I mean, people, I sorry, I used to teach the humanity <laughs> stuff. And so I, you, it's, it's ghostly listeners, we could go on and on and on about all of this. And uh, I'm sure many of you know this better than either of us do. The vocabulary can get complicated. Yeah, it can. It but, can. Uh, but yes, typically the, the movements are... You know, when you don't, you don't applaud in between the movements, you know, it's like the, there's just like a little pause in between each Except of them. for me. I will applaud it. Well, everything. there are people that will. And, you know, I mean, some people are sticklers for that. And, and then there's people that just laugh. Yes, that's true. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes people get inappropriate. Do you want to tell the story of that? Oh, well... There's me. I I laugh (laughs) at the symphony. (laughs) No, I. You know what? I've gone to. Um, uh, my mother would take my brother and I to the symphony all the time, or to the orchestra all the time. Um, growing up, and so I'm kind of you know I got comfortable there. But uh, I took Pat to see. Actually, it was a pianist that we saw, and uh, at the symphony at the at Symphony Center in Chicago. Um, so that's where it gets confusing. That is too. where it gets confusing. Yeah. And we were with my, my brother. Um, and uh, <laughs> there, there was a, uh, you told me it was a man. I wasn't <laughs> sure if it was a duck. I don't know. But for some reason, this person, when they would sneeze, sounded like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounded like, like Donald Duck. Donald sounded like Donald Duck. And every time, and it was so I, in my mind, I was just picturing Donald Duck sitting behind us doing that. Uh, like, I mean, this was before, you know, pandemic time. So, you know, it wasn't like dangerous. <laughs> it just was funny to me. But, but also, I will say that there were two people, older women in front of us. Yes. That were fighting. That was hilarious. Yeah. Like they were, they were having a, having a, a good I mean, old fight. they were, they were about to fist fight. Yeah, it, it was it was that close. It got intense. Yeah. So, anyways, a lot of laughing at the symphony sometimes. To go back to what we were talking about, Haydn was actually considered one of like the fathers of of the symphony because of him um, mastering the modern day one uh, yes. and creating that one. Yes, Mike told us it was the he's the father of the modern symphony. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, when we say modern, we're not talking modern. <laughs> it's not like, yeah. No, this is from the classical period. Yeah, exactly. I, 
again, it's all classical music, but this is the period of time, or actually this is really- The romantic. No, this is actually classical. Okay. And then we're about to get to the romantics. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So it became so popular, and just like anything popular, they looked at ways to structure these symphonies and profit from its diversity of sounds within the orchestra. Uh, so one of the things that they did was to limit the amount of movements to three or four. Before that, there could be 20, mm-hmm. and it could literally last all day. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, it still does, kind of. I but, mean, you know. you know, we'll talk about Mahler, but yeah. Um, with this, they became even more popular and moved from what they considered dance halls into much bigger concert halls. Yes. Uh, So the classical symphony was a rigid construction. Each instrument and each movement had to follow a set of rules for the work to be considered a symphony. This didn't frighten the young Mozart, though, who composed his first symphony at the age of eight. Yeah, he really was the prodigy. Um, I mean, he started playing publicly when he was five. Yeah. He did, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, His 41st and last symphony presented something quite different, though. Nicknamed uh, Jupiter, it marked another turning point for symphonies. The final movement is where Mozart really mixes things up as he creates an interweaving fugue of the piece's five themes in what is said to be one of the most exciting bits of Western musical craftsmanship. (laughs) <laughs> Would you agree with that? I mean, again, it's beautiful and it's amazing to see how um, things changed in his lifetime. I mean, there's a reason we talk about Bach, Mozart, and Beethoven as yeah. like the three guys. I mean, obviously Haydn is huge and others as well, but like they really mark the growth of what we call classical music. Absolutely. And Mozart especially. So by extending the form, Mozart paved the way for other composers to experiment, allowing Beethoven and his revolutionary symphonies to make their indelible mark. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, You know, we're going to, I mean, we'll talk about Beethoven here, but um, my brother was telling us that, um, you know, that we have no idea if Mozart and Beethoven ever met, Um, but teenage Beethoven... And like 35-year-old Mozart were in the same city at the same time at Ooh. one point. So it's possible, it's possible that they did, or at least that Beethoven like maybe saw Mozart or yeah. saw his work being performed, something like that. Certainly inspired by him. And back then, I mean, that was what you would do for like entertainment. Oh, you know? sure. Again, if you don't have uh like a radio at home, mm-hmm. you don't have an iPad phone you know, I mean, like, but, you know. <laughs> but also back then a lot more people played musical instruments oh absolutely well i mean again so if you wanted to have a party and mm-hmm. you wanted to have music at your party you needed someone to play the music or you needed to play or it. you needed to yeah yeah i mean again if you ever watch any of those um you know jane austen yeah you know things there's always you know the one sister that plays the piano while everyone yeah, like else dances little women yeah, yeah, same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's always somebody that in the household that plays the piano. That was their entertainment. Right. And that is also the reason why some of this music is so complex, because there were so many people that understood music. Sure. So it could be more complex than it is today. 
But this is, as you kind of were saying earlier, when it moved to the bigger concert halls instead of just, you you know, that's what you were just telling us is like it kind of moved from just being something in the home or a smaller Mm -hmm. stage to like, no, we're actually just going to go and watch this really complicated piece of music. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And Beethoven revolutionized the symphonic form, building on what Mozart had set in motion. So if it wasn't for Mozart, Beethoven probably couldn't have done that. Oh, no, definitely. Yeah. Um, So he enlarged the orchestra. So uh, what Mike was saying is sometimes when um, they're playing Mozart, they will limit how many instruments are in the uh, orchestra. Right. Because Beethoven was the one that actually expanded it. Well, so he said that Mozart, before he passed, so this was after Beethoven got popular and did all of this, that he did one time get to hear one of his symphonies played with the bigger orchestra, and he loved it. I'm sure. I guess he wrote a letter saying that it was how great it was, and then then he passed before he ever could hear one again. But yet we... So solidifying When we play now only play it with the smaller orchestra because that's how it was done back then. Yeah, but he that's loved it. Huh? Like he wanted to hear it with the big orchestra. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, he, also, he doubled the duration of the works and in the third movement occasionally replaced the minuet that he hated with a... Uh, scherzo. Scherzo. A minuet is a slow ballroom dance, and a scherzo is a light and jolly <laughs> movement. Yes, yeah, so this is Beethoven, right? He's expanding on all of this. Yeah, and I don't really find it to be that light and jolly, but I, well, I get it. Yeah, Beethoven can be. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, so Beethoven's compositions are monuments of change, catalyst of the evolution of the symphony. Those who understand my music must be freed by it from all the miseries which the others drag about with themselves. Yeah, and that was from Beethoven. Beethoven actually said that. Yeah. Which sounds like a Beethoven thing to say. (laughs) He definitely (laughs) thought his music was awesome. Yeah. um, So, yeah, that was in a letter to his friend. Bettina Brentano. Yeah. Uh, His commitment to musical freedom resulted in Symphony No. 9. The first symphony with a choir and soloist, um, establishing the basis of the Romantic and Modern Symphony. Yes, um, Beethoven's Ninth is certainly a one of the one of his most popular. We were talking earlier the um, the fifth is also very yeah. popular. Yeah. Um, but here's just a little side story: is Michael and I, um, we had like one year. We were in college at the mm-hmm. same time. We were at the same college, and he and I both. Um, got to be in the chorus for the Ninth Symphony. Um, that was part of the whole thing. He was setting piano, but you you had to do like a like a group thing. Yeah. So he was, and you were and, playing the triangle, and I was singing as well, um, <laughs> just for fun. Okay. And uh, but we actually got to perform at Chicago Symphony Hall. So wow, it was really cool. Wow, that place that place is really hot. It, it, it can be. Yeah. Now, I will say, though, when you perform a work like that, I mean, I'm sure to people that do it professionally, it's different. But like for me, we rehearsed that so much and for so long that while I do love it and I do appreciate it, it's it, you know, my memories of it, my association of it is just a lot of rehearsal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, we believe the curse of the ninth was something that was probably talked about. OK, maybe. But it was really brought to light 
by Gustav Mahler, um, who, after writing his eighth symphony, wrote Das Das Leid von dir Erde, which, while structurally it was actually a symphony, um, was able to be disguised as a song cycle, each movement being a setting of a poem for soloist and an orchestra. And he, I mean, we'll, we can get to this later, but like he's not the only one to do stuff like this. But yeah, yes. so he's trying to sneak in a symphony. Yes. He did. But and he, without calling it that. But he was kind of able to. Right. You it know? didn't quite yes. fit the definition. So this superstition, though, however, was only hatched by Mahler. Um, before him, Beethoven and Schubert, uh, had died before or while writing their 10th symphonies. Upon realizing this, Mahler created the curse of the ninth and led this superstition into popularity by seemingly proving it to be true, though. <laughs> be- uh, so um, I just wanted to to, uh, to add um, the, the first notable composer... Um, after Beethoven to complete more than nine symphonies that, I mean, not that there weren't others, um, but the big one was um, uh, Shostakovich, which there's me saying that one, um, who lived uh, decades after completing his ninth and wrote six more symphonies, um, you know, after that time. Um, But there were others um, that broke the curse. Um, There was... um, what is this? A Yokaim uh, Raph, as well as, mm-hmm. um, you know, I wrote 11 symphonies. I mean, there were others, um, but Shostakovich is the, is the, maybe the first notable one to kind of want to say break the curse. I don't know. Yeah. So. But before that, Alexander Glusnuov. Okay. Well, I'm sorry, I don't know that name. That's not yeah. a name I've heard before. So that person stopped work on his ninth symphony in 1910, supposedly due to fear of the curse, and never wrote another symphony. Uh-huh. Like he wanted to, but he didn't, and he managed to live another 26 years. See, there you go. You've offered proof for the curse. No, just that he felt that Dad. there was one. Yeah, That's all. and he lived. Yeah, and I mean... I, I will say, though, that uh, a symphony takes many years for, for someone to write, typically, right? I mean, so this is where it gets to be like this time frame, right? So you mentioned Haydn wrote 108. Yeah. Right? But that um, was before Beethoven. After that, Beethoven, exactly. that made it a lot more complex. Right. It took a lot longer to write yes. symphonies. So, yeah. And the other thing that actually Michael mentioned is, you know, it's actually, there's not a lot of um, financial reward in their lifetime for writing a symphony. Sure. Because, like, especially then, you know, now maybe there's like, you know, fair, like a, a pretty good number of symphonies around the world though they're struggling. So if you, you know, want to support them, it's always good. Um, but um, back then, especially, you know, there, this was a new thing. So, you know, maybe there'd be like five symphonies <laughs> or just five orchestras or 10 that maybe would buy and perform your work. So it was, you made more money, of course, making popular music. So it's like you'd work on your symphonies, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like you, 
you know, could afford to just write your symphony. You know what I mean? You had to do other work that would make you money in the meantime. And even now, I would say, percentage-wise at least, they probably do not make anywhere near where they did in like a Beethoven day or something like that. Percentage-wise, not dollar for dollar. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think there's, like I said, there's more symphonies worldwide, but orchestra. But there's just not as many people going to symphonies, well, though. Yeah, and also there's, you know, there's always there's so much music out there to perform. Yeah, I mean, it's not like if you write something. I mean, if you get an orchestra to perform it, like that's yeah. amazing. <laughs> and most of them will do like a Beethoven piece or something like right. that. Right. So you're you're still competing with Beethoven. Yeah. Like he's been day. gone for years and years. Yeah. But you are still competing with him when it comes to getting your music performed. Yeah. I mean, if you've heard an orchestra, you've probably heard some Beethoven, probably some Mozart too in there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Some Haydn, some, you know, I mean, all the classics, they're yeah. all there. And then maybe you'll hear, I mean, contemporary composing is very different and yeah. it's not the music it depends you know on the 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 composer but it's it's often not the music that people want to hear they want to hear the greatest hits yeah well you know? and nowadays too when someone is composing something they could write a piece on the piano have the sheet music printed out for that and transposed for all all these different instruments then well, and then the other thing is, if you look at more contemporary composers or modern contemporary, whatever, the last, you know, 100 years or so, if you're going to write music, you're going to write this kind of music maybe for a film. Yeah, for absolutely. TV. Yeah. You know, I mean, so you're still writing, quote unquote, classical music. But it's not exactly a symphony anymore. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's very different. It's very focused based on what's happening in the scene or what the director wants. Yeah. But you're probably getting paid a lot more. Yeah, absolutely. Than you yeah. would be if you were just, you yeah. know, writing your art. <laughs> All right. Do you have anything to add to the Pat Facts? Um, you know, just that uh, it is super interesting. It was a really interesting time of music and art. And I'm sorry to get all teachery, but just I love how everything just. You know, within uh, like 150 years, not even, yeah. not even, things changed so very much in music, you know, as as the technology of instruments got better mm -hmm. yeah, and improved. Um, and again, like you said, so many people were playing music as the, the printing press, the printing press, oh, yeah. making it so that music could be shared mm -hmm. widely. Absolutely. You know, I mean, these are all the things that all came together, you know, and again, this is Western music that we're focusing on here. Well, even even when the pr the printing press first started, it was difficult to print music, though. Oh, sure. And to have a common language. Because they were set up to do words and numbers. Absolutely. So it wasn't until we had the ability to be able to do like copies and stuff like that, like dittos. <laughs> well, no, I mean, they could, you know, I mean, they, they did figure out ways, you know, to print music, yeah. for, but it it was definitely really expensive to do. I Absolutely. mean, it wasn't, Absolutely. wasn't easy. Um, I mean, you could have monks write it, write copies, I guess that's probably. Which I would do. I have <laughs> monks write all my music for me. But just beautiful stuff. And it definitely, um, you know, again, just changed much. And if you look at the art at the time, through all these time frames, um, you know, it just kind of goes along with it and the architecture and like everything just kind of mm -hmm. flows together and it's really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, then let's go ahead and take a break. And when we return, we will get to the debate. Sounds good. 
Throughout our time doing Ghostly, we've met a lot of great people. People that don't always fit into our episode schedule. And even when they do, we try to focus on the topic of the episode and we don't really get a chance to get to know them as a person. That's why we came up with the idea of Ghostly X. Ghostly X will come out on the weeks when there is no regular Ghostly episode. And it'll have interviews with amazing people and listener feedback from previous episodes. We also can't wait to talk about the paranormal in the news. We're very proud of this project and we can't wait to share it with you. Ghostly X is a Patreon exclusive. You can start listening now by going to ghostlypodcast.com and clicking on the Patreon link in the menu bar to become a patron and help support Ghostly by listening to our brand new show. back and it is time for a debate let's do it (laughs) all right arnold schoenberg whose music was heavily influenced by mahler described the curse of the ninth in an essay on the composer mahler he said he who wants to go beyond it must pass away it seems as if something might be imparted to us in the tenth which we ought not yet to know, for which we are not ready. Those who have written a ninth stood too close to the hereafter. Dun, Mm. dun, dun. Interesting. (laughs) All right, let's talk a little bit about Beethoven, a little bit more about Beethoven, (laughs) because we haven't talked about Beethoven Mm. enough already. So, you know, this is just the example, right? Um, that, you know, he, you know, Beethoven himself didn't know about the curse of the ninth, um, but he kind of is one of the first, you know, to, it's said um, to be uh, a victim of the curse. Um, so his choral symphony, the ninth, which we talked about earlier, um, was his last. Um, he did um, start a tenth. So he kind of laid it out um, and he, you know, he wrote, he wrote quite a bit actually for the 10th. Um, and there's actually uh, some uh, people, one guy in particular who have like tried to kind of bring it back. Like you could actually potentially hear Beethoven's 10th symphony, but it's not really his exactly. It's like people took his ideas for it and the things that he did write and kind of from their knowledge of him have tried to recreate it, basically. Um, He died on March 26th, uh, 1827 at the age of 56. And he had two friends, uh, maybe a third um, that were uh, present when he passed. Um, And uh, one of his friends that was there um, said that at about 5 p.m., there was a flash of lightning and a clap of thunder. 
Quote, Beethoven opened his eyes, lifted his right hand, and looked up for several seconds with his fist clenched. Not another breath, not another heartbeat more. He was definitely, I mean, he kind of had been sick for a little bit. Yeah. And, you know. But what parting words, coming. you know? Yeah. Those right? are Those are really cool. I, you know, I hope that when it's my time, I could say something <laughs> as prolific as that, right? Right. And, um. You know, I mean, that you were just, yeah, shaking his fist at the lightning yeah. and the thunder. Yeah. And again, I'm not saying that the lightning and thunder was the curse, but I'm not not saying that. Like, I don't know. All right. Well, I mean, okay. So first, I want to bring up Mahler, because you talked about him first. Mahler, yes. Mahler, yes, Mahler. And um, and we are going to talk more. I do have more on Mahler, but okay. I, I just had that quote that kind of. Well, then I'm going to use this one for multiple then. All right. So, uh, so there's a few issues with the theory um, because at the time of him writing this stuff and believing this stuff, there was only two people that actually would have applied to the curse, and that was Beethoven and Brockner. Um, he wouldn't have known about Sherbert's nine symphonies because um, what is now called his symphony number no. nine, which is nicknamed the great, <laughs> um, was known as his seventh in Mahler's time. So, so, so Schubert yeah. is sometimes cited as someone having affected by the curse, but really it's because, but they didn't even know at the time yeah. They, that like he had written. Mahler wouldn't have known about that. Gotcha. So and he was only, Mahler was only concerned based about. Based on two people. Two people, Beethoven and uh, Bruckner. Yeah. Um, and then, we'll of course, you know, we had already gone over this in the history. Um, Mahler um, made his uh, symphony, you know, and he actually tried to trick death with it, you know. Right. And, um but technically, he would have written 10 symphonies then. Technically. Right. Again, we'll get to it. Yeah. I, I got some thoughts on it, you know, for sure. But yeah, he did try to trick trick it based on what happened to Beethoven. So. Yeah. And his ninth wasn't even considered uh, a symphony during his time. Um, so, and it, it is often included on the curse list. Roden completed a 10th symphony, but he withdrew it. So that's where I'm going to go with that one. Okay, okay. Okay. But there's more. Even Bruckner, which is one of the two people that he was like, hey, those two people died. So I'm worried about this now. And he pretty much invented the curse. Um, even Bruckner doesn't fully qualify. He died before completing his unfinished ninth symphony. So actually, he only had eight. So, um, brings his total symphonies to just eight, and that just doesn't qualify for this. So, he's only fearing one person then at this time. Um, and the main snag to the curse, though, is that it only really makes sense if you concentrate on a relatively small number of 19th and 20th century composers. Because, I mean, if you look at some of the other people like Shostakovich, which you mentioned, um, he wrote 15 symphonies, and Hayater Villalobos, who wrote 12, and then we have Mozart that wrote 41, and Hayden that wrote 108. 
Haydn that wrote 108. So we're only focusing on a small stretch of time. We are focused on this weird small stretch of time. That is true. So that is where I'm going to go with that, is that he wrote this and came up with this concept, and he actually beat it. He actually made his 10th symphony, because his ninth was not considered a symphony. So, um, and he's only focused on the one person, and that's Beethoven. Yes. Yeah. That. So, uh, yeah. Um. I mean, sorry, I know that's hard to follow. It, it is, and again, I, you know, I, it's there's so many. There's there's a lot of these composers, and they're all all kind of fitting together. But, um, I, I you know, so I guess it, like for Beethoven himself, he didn't think of it as a curse. He was just, yep, that's just when I died. But Mahler is the was the one a yeah. few you know people later to call it a curse. I mean, what do you think? I mean, so I guess like for you then, like Beethoven, would you consider Beethoven cursed? Like, would you say that his death, getting to his tenth symphony, the reason he died was because of the curse of the ninth, or would you say no? Definitely, I would say no, because. He was not, I mean, he was esteemed in his own day as well. He was. Now, now, if he had been somebody that nobody heard of, and then after he died, then all this music came out and he became extremely popular, that would give me a little bit more credence to it because he didn't reward from anything. So he got plenty of reward for for what he did. He, he had plenty of acclimates. He did. Not everybody's famous in their lifetime, but Beethoven was certainly one of them for yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I would definitely say he was brilliant and the world knew it mm-hmm. like at that time. So yeah. um, so I'm going to have to go really low on this one. I'm going to go zero on this one because of the fact that um, Mahler was just messed up in the head. It's just superstition. So he, so, okay. Superstition based upon little, little information. (laughs) Well, Beethoven is the first. He's often the most cited. So for me, you know, I mean, again, I'm, I'm, I am open-minded about this curse. It seems like a very, like a curse that only existed for a certain amount of time. Um, Though I, you know, there are some people that still talk about it to this day. Mm -hmm. Um. So anyway, so for Beethoven, I'm going to give him a six. I'm going to give this one a six as a possibility. Again, the lightning and the thunder kind of freaked me out. So uh, if it's true, I don't even, you know, again, that was a report. I just think it's coincidence as far as that goes. And, um, you know, I, I, I do think he died young, right? Mm-hmm. He died at a very young age. Uh, I think it was like, what, 43? Uh, 56. 56. I was close i guess (laughs) um you know but then again people died young back then yeah i mean obviously not as much uh, medicine i mean women died during childbirth usually that's often true so i mean men would live on to be 
in their 50s, maybe 60s if they were lucky. So I mean, you would get it's not like you wouldn't ever have a 70 or 80 year old, but you had to probably be pretty rich. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right. Well, then let's move on to you mentioned this person already. Mm-hmm. Um, so another composer often listed as being cursed by the ninth is Austrian composer Anton Bruckner. Uh, one problem uh, many critics voice was his habit of continuously revisiting and tinkering his finished works. So he basically had this, like he had a compulsion um, to go back and fix and fix and fix his Mm -hmm. works. Um, So his ninth symphony, as you mentioned, was unfinished when he died. So he made it to the ninth, but he didn't finish it. Um, And part of that was the fact that he just kept going back and back and back Mm -hmm. to, to finish his eighth or finish the eight before. Um, Okay. I just had to pull this and it is not anything with the curse necessarily, but just to talk about him and being a weird guy. Bruckner had an obsession with viewing dead bodies. He became a frequent visitor at funeral parlors and in cemeteries, viewing the bodily remains of total strangers. (laughs) You just show up so you can see them. He sought permission to exhume and see the body of his dead cousin, which was refused. Okay. When the remains of Beethoven and Schubert were moved to Vienna's Central Cemetery in 1888, Bruckner just had to be there. Eyewitness accounts recall that he fingered and kissed the skulls of both composers. Yeah, I wonder what that means, fingered. Like, did I, he put his fingers in like maybe, the eyes? Or I did he... would hope it's just like like rubbed Okay, the skull. touched it, just touched it's it. It's just a weird wording to use, yeah, though. Yeah, it, it is. I don't know. Yeah. And then given his obsession with death, it's hardly surprising that he gave very specific instructions on how to deal with his own dead body. Are you mm-hmm. ready for this part? Yeah, I am. Okay. On October 11th, 1896, he died at the age of 72 in Vienna. Oh. Okay. His body was initially released for viewing at the St. Charles Church in Vienna, and five days later arrived at the St. Florin Monastery in his hometown of Linz. Between the viewing in Vienna and the burial in Linz, a certain Professor Paltoff mummified Bruckner's body just as the composer had specified in his will. In 1996, in preparations for the Bruckner Centarian celebrations, it was discovered that the mummy had begun to decay. As such, the monastery arranged for the mummy to take a secret restoration trip to Switzerland. Restored in body and clothing, Bruckner returned to Linz and officials pronounced the result, quote, like he died yesterday. Interesting. I mean, I'm not like, I don't even know how that would connect to the curse, but I just thought that was super interesting. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I will tell you that a lot of these Renaissance men were um, very peculiar i would say would be the right word like da vinci used to do autopsies and stuff like that sure and i think he definitely you know i mean he was uh, i mean you know the romantics were were were, love the renaissance and they were very into all of that yeah um and i could see him you know but again he also again had um compulsions 
He did, definitely. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So, okay. So, but let's go back. All to, of which could probably be treated with medication nowadays. I was just going right? to say. Yeah. So for you, though, going back to your argument from earlier is because he didn't finish his ninth, he's not part of the curse. He doesn't qualify. He doesn't qualify for the curse. Because the curse is, right? The curse is that after their ninth, before making their tenth, so they have to- Or, already, or in writing their tenth. I, they don't yeah, complete yeah. the tenth. Yeah, but they have to have started the tenth, right? I believe. I, you know, it's a gray area. Yeah, but this they have to at least, listed. at least have finished their ninth. It can't be during the ninth because that is like the ninth or the tenth, the curse of the ninth or the tenth. <laughs> All right. I guess we can agree with that. So maybe we take him out of the list. Yeah. And I mean, it seemed like he lived a pretty long life, 72 years old. Yeah. Back in those days, that's that's incredible. <laughs> so yeah, he was weird, um, but you know what? Brilliant sometimes they they have this weird other side, this other tendencies, and as creepy as it might sound, it was harmless. All right, so so you're... you could finger any skull you want to, you know. <laughs> I I would be very creeped out if I found out this man came to view my body. I don't know. But if like Stephen Hawkins was like, hey, I want to see dead bodies, I don't think anybody would give him any static when he was alive to do that. Well, because he's famous if you or I ask like, hey, hey, No, hey. but so is Bruckner though. I mean, yeah, I guess. I don't think, I, don't feel, I guess he was famous enough for that. And he was a genius. So, I mean, <laughs> so we just kind of go along with these genius people. I'm going to have to give this one a zero. He doesn't even qualify for it. He lived a very long life. His mummy lived on and <laughs> I'll looked give it, like he died I'll, yesterday. I'll, I'll give it a three. It's pretty low. All right. So let's officially talk about Mahler. Okay. Okay. So as you said, he's the first to believe in this superstition or first to, you know, call it that. Um, he freaked out. He developed an obsession with the curse. Um, you know, so after he completed his eighth, let's see if we can just, again, I know we've talked about this now a few times, but he completed his eighth symphony. He decided to come up with a way to like not have the curse of the ninth. So he wrote the ninth symphony, but it really wasn't technically totally a symphony and he didn't call it a symphony and he didn't call it the ninth symphony. So after he wrote this, not his ninth symphony. He wrote his ninth symphony, which was really his tenth. But, and he thought like, awesome. But basically they didn't believe him. So he did, he did die basically uh, before he complete his, his work on what was really his 10th symphony. No, his 11th actually. Well, but that one wasn't like theoretically his wasn't like it didn't meet the definition of a symphony, I guess I should say. The only the only difference is that it had a companyist. Right. So it wasn't actually so he was trying to be tricky. He was like, he, 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 he. So after he wrote his ninth, yeah. it was really his, you know, in his mind, he was like, oh, that was really my 10th. He was like, I did it. I beat the curse. But the gods, the fates, whoever. <laughs> We're like, no, mm -hmm. the thing that you didn't call symphony right. wasn't a symphony, so it didn't count, and we got to, he died. All right, now I got a quote here, okay? okay? And I just thought this was kind of interesting. It's just a quote about his music. And so if you've never listened to Mahler, one of the things people say about Mahler, it's big, like, again, okay, so you have Beethoven, 
who like expanded everything, right? And made it huge. Mahler took that idea and he was like, oh no, hold my, you know, (laughs) (laughs) adult beverage, hold my adult beverage Mm -hmm. and was like, I can do this and made it insane, right? And kind of after him, people were like, okay, maybe we start bringing it back down. (laughs) We don't need to sit for three hours, you know, for one symphony. Anyways, but here we go. Um, So this is from A Vogel in View. Mahler's music, complicated, intellectual, and emotionally charged, is a reflection of who the man was. And here's what he was going through at the time. And this is me, as an aside, writing his last symphony. He'd been diagnosed with a serious heart condition that he knew would eventually do him in. He'd lost his young daughter a few years earlier, and he had just recently discovered his beloved wife, Alma, was having an affair with a younger man. He was aware of the curse of the ninth, and in his exploration of a tenth, understood that he was likely overplaying his hand, and he did it anyway. Dun, dun, dun. So with this, I'm going to say that it is more than likely that he was the initiator of the curse <laughs> of the ninth. He made it up. Um, it might have been talked about before that, but it was officially like became like people started worrying about it when he um, started like a publicity thing about it, you know, and and made it a thing to beat it. Okay, so um, I'm going to say that um, he suffered from something that was very much different than a curse. He suffered from um, fear of walking in Beethoven's footsteps. Ooh, okay. Yeah. um, A lot of these people wait until they're older to start writing stuff because they have such a fear of Beethoven. Oh, like especially right after Beethoven. Yes. Or yes. Not that, yeah. Within yeah, like it's like, I mean, once the, I mean, I guess we could try to say like if you're, I don't know, like the Beatles, you know, it's like, are you going to be better than the Beatles? You might get nervous about it or something. Yeah, and even even John Lennon, uh, after he heard um, Bob Bob Dylan play, or no, it was Bruce Springsteen actually. Mm. He said that he was not a musician at all. You know, John Lennon said that he himself was not a musician at all because he heard Bruce Springsteen. Wow. And Bruce Springsteen was like, to him, it was like, it was brilliant to him. And he was just like, I obviously am not a musician. So, so, um, so musicians get in their head. So you're saying, so, oh, Be- totally. so after Beethoven, musicians or composers were like, yeah, how am I going to beat that? And so they kind of delayed starting. Yeah, I mean, I've been playing guitar for a very long time, but I am hesitant to play guitar in front of certain people because I know that they are so much better than me that they will just laugh at me, you know? They're not going to laugh at you. Would you laugh? There are people in this world that do not play guitar as well as you. Would you laugh at them if they played? No, but that, I mean, the point is that psychologically, this is how you feel. You feel (laughs) inadequate, right? Yeah. And I'm just going to say that that is probably what Mahler's issue was. That he started later. And because he really wanted to beat Beethoven, too. Oh, 
I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, to me, he, you know, he tried, but he couldn't, he couldn't do it. The fates found him. So I don't know. I, I'm going to give him a probably, I'm going to give it a seven mm-hmm. for being uh, the curse. Again, okay. if you, to me, we've had discussions about curses before. It's they're, they're difficult to figure out. They're difficult to prove. But if you believe in a curse strongly enough, I do think you can manifest it. And so I will say that I think if anyone was affected by the curse, it was Mahler because he really believed it. Okay. Gotcha. So uh, what would you give this one? Zero. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we've got a couple more pieces of evidence well, here, a little shorter. Let me just say, yeah. in order for me to believe in this kind of curse, I have to fully understand where the curse starts Uh and if it's no longer a curse which obviously this doesn't seem to be because there's been several people that have composed more than 10 symphonies now Mm -hmm. i i I need to have an ending and i need to know why so i you know it is tricky I, i you know there is this time frame that it seemed to be a thing I think part of it is when we get to later times, you know, this is like ending like in the 1800s, kind of really getting close to the 1900s. Yeah. And that's modernity. And so the world totally changes and the Mm -hmm. music totally changes, you know, writing a big symphony. I mean, kind of like what you were just saying, like, yeah. Beethoven's already written the best symphonies, so I'm moving on. I'm doing something else. Yeah. You know, List was, I'm going to do these kind of, you know, symphonic cycles or songs, you know, and it's just like people start doing different things and then we get contemporary music, you know, rock and roll and all the other things, you know, and like I said, you know, they're writing music for films and they're just doing different formats. So to me... You know, I actually still think if you're someone writing big symphonies, it's a risk. A curse doesn't mean that everyone, to me, it doesn't mean that everyone is affected by it. Just like 27 Club, not every 27-year-old musician dies, but it's a risk. Well, I mean, that, okay, so that brings up a really interesting idea to me, is that um, also with these curses, why are some people able to sneak by... And others are not where we had the Bruce Lee family curse uh-huh. and it was like da 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 da. That's what happened. It's like uh-huh. father, son, grandson. Right. It made sense. There was a linear path to that. So you're saying that the Bruce Lee curse is the no. family curse is real. Like you've heard it here first. No, but I'm saying this is more just like we are we are now counting backwards. Just like the 27 Club, we are looking at it after the fact, which not all rock musicians die at the age of 27. Um, and just like this, not every composer um, that is writing a symphony dies between their ninth and 10th. So again, I think this is kind of why I picked this quote is it's about the the like the passion and the heart that you put into it and i'm not saying that composers that don't die whatever don't are not putting in heart but maybe and again this is just us theorizing we don't know but you know maybe if you're putting too much of you too much of your soul into your work it's a curse and you can only do it for so long and especially if you're writing these bigger longer pieces there's just a limit for your body 
Gotcha. All right. Okay. All right. Well, I've got two more here, two more examples of, of people. And, uh, you know, we can, they're, they're a little shorter here. We've got Dvorak. Um, so he wrote a ninth symphony called From the New World, um, but it was actually labeled his fifth at the time that it came out. So at the time of his death, people did not like think he was part of the curse. But after his death, they went back and looked at all of his work and like labeled it correctly. Turns out that the new world was in fact his ninth symphony. So like when he died, the public may not have known that he had actually written nine symphonies already, but fate, fate knew the universe knew and took him out. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a weird thing. Okay, because then we have a guy by the name of Sofer, um, which uh, he is often included on the curse list, right? Where this guy wasn't, this guy was, and he actually uh, wrote and completed a 10th symphony, but then he withdrew some of the symphonies (laughs) that he did. (laughs) So it's like, so he didn't die then because of the curse, because he was able to actually do 10, where this guy... It's like the same kind of thing, and it's it's kind of messed up in this regard. <laughs> so there's no rhyme or reason for any of this. It doesn't make any sense. It just, as I said, we are looking at it backwards. We are looking at it from finding out that, oh, my God, he was on his 10th symphony. He must be part of the curse of the ninth then, when, in fact, you know, we could not say, hey, if you write nine symphonies and you go on to write your 10th, you're going to die because it's not always true. <laughs> so I'm going to have to go zero on this one as well. Yeah. Um, okay. So I've got one more. You didn't give oh, your rating. Oh, I didn't rating. give my rating. I'm so sorry. You're right. You're right. I don't know if you I gave your rating on that. the other one either. Uh, I did. I did okay. seven for Mahler. Okay. Um, so for Dvorak, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him a six. He's okay. up there with Beethoven for me. I mean, right. He may not have known, but you know, it happened. All right, so we've got um, Rolf uh, von Williams, um, and he had a, a had a great career. He wrote a lot of concerti, ballets, film music. So this is a little bit later in time frame, um, and uh, he did produce nine symphonies. Three weeks after the premiere of the ninth, he died suddenly. So mm-hmm. he was eighty six at the time, but they say it still came as a shock. That a family friend said that he seemed totally normal the day before his death. The next morning, he took ill and died. And again, he had finished his ninth, hadn't gotten to his tenth. Okay. Um, in 2014, uh, there was someone named Peter Maxwell Davies. Um, Davies. Davies. Uh, doyen of British composers and master of the Queen's music produced a Ninth Symphony, he was asked repeatedly if he shouldn't be worried about the curse of the Ninth, a long-cherished myth of classical music claiming that if you manage to write Ninth Symphonies, you probably won't live to complete a Tenth. Famously rational for a creative artist, Mr. Davies uh, laughed at the idea. Then he collapsed and was taken to the hospital. The diagnosis, cancer. But What's really interesting about this guy is the cancer didn't do him in. Nope, he lived on to make his 10th symphony. And um, 
no curse could do him in. So in the same rationale that you bring up from this guy did not work with somebody else. And um, again, just counting backwards. And um, the Alexander guy, um, you know, the one that stopped work on his ninth in 1910. Well, first of all, he didn't write nine. So he doesn't qualify for this list. (laughs) Second of all, he did this out of fear, out of a superstition. That doesn't prove anything. That just proves that he was very superstitious. If I went around and I said, I am not going to walk walk underneath a ladder, that doesn't mean that it's real, that walking under a ladder is bad luck. It just means that I believe it. And that doesn't give any credence to if it's real or not. Well, now, see, I think that sometimes when we believe in curses, we give them power. And again, this still doesn't take to, you know, Rolf uh, von Williams is often included on these lists. He is exactly an example of someone who made it to his ninth and couldn't make yeah. it to the tenth. And an old man at the age of 86 <laughs> died. <laughs> I mean, seriously, do you think he's supposed to live forever then? Is that is that how that works? He's he, Well, he had fame. Okay. So he was going to live forever. <laughs> I, okay. <laughs> all right. So what's your rating? Of- I mean I mean a, this I'm going to say first of all this is getting ridiculous <laughs> at some point. There is no Beethoven starts it but then all these other people manage to do it in between and we don't like the curse is not over. Just whoever believes in the curse is the one that dies and I do I do have a special place in my heart for people that believe in curses that they're going to come true, but that doesn't mean it's actually the curse. It means other attributes are are in play. Now, I did not say that only people that believed in the curse die, because there are some people on this list that that didn't either know about it or or didn't believe in it. Yeah, Brockner that didn't even write nine. (laughs) Well, we also have the one I just talked about, Von Williams, who was someone, I have no idea if he believed in it or not, but... But he was 86 years old, Did him in. All right, so what's your rating for Von Williams, then? Negative infinity plus. Wait, nope, not allowed. You've (laughs) told me that many times. No, I I told you that infinity plus is not Yeah, so that means infinity negative is also not allowed. What? Why not? Uh, Because it's... This is not opposite day. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to have to give this a, a big fat zero on this one. It is getting ridiculous. All right. I'm going to give that one a five. All right. So what is your overall rating then? Okay. So my overall rating then. So I gave I gave a seven, a couple sixes, a three, and a four. So we're kind of all over the place. So I'm actually going to end up in a five. Okay. Which is pretty low for me. Yeah. You know, like, I feel like there's a few things here, but I'm not, you know, I'm in the middle on it. So what does that mean then, a five for you? Does that mean like, eh, Like maybe, like I'm not discounting it, but. But you don't totally believe it I'm either. not totally there yet. Okay. Yeah. How about, how what about would, for you? What would it take for you to believe this one though? Oh, um, you know what? I'd actually, you know what? One thing that I, I found difficult to do, mm-hmm. I mean, not that I tried super hard, but like. You know, it's pretty difficult to figure out, like, well, how many, like, composers wrote 
ninth symphonies and then didn't write the time, you know, like to get like the numbers. And I think we did that a little bit more with the 27 clubs. Some people have done some of that math. Absolutely. You know, we just don't have that for this. Yeah. I mean, so here's one thing I will say, like when I looked on like even just Wikipedia for mm -hmm. like 10th symphonies, Mm -hmm. the list is like 20. Like it's not that many. Now I don't think this is a comprehensive list by any means, but I mean, you know, that's not a lot. Like, not a lot of people make it to a 10th symphony or more. Yeah. It's pretty limited, the list. Well, going back to what you said, I was trying to get in there, but I couldn't, um, is that, yeah, I would love to see numbers as far as not only how many people stopped after their ninth and didn't even start writing their 10th or whatever and lived, um, but I would like to see numbers of how many composers there were that died after their first, second, third. Sure. You know. Sure. Yeah. Again, these numbers, they make a difference. Exactly. So that's what it would take for me. Like if it was statistically like this really crazy number of people died at their ninth, then I might, you know, start to say, hmm, that's interesting. I mean, of course, I probably wouldn't totally believe it, but I would be closer to believing it. Um, so I'm going to have to go overall for this one a zero because I believe that we are only focusing on a small set of numbers here. And um, as far as the amount of composers that died after their ninth or during their tenth or whatever we're going to say, it's very small number and it's for a very short period of time. All right. Well, do you want to go into your closing arguments here yeah that brings us to the closing arguments this is our last chance to convince you to vote our way remember you could vote by going to ghostlypodcast.com clicking on polls no other way registers a vote if you are on our discord channel and you tell us how you feel that doesn't register as a vote if you you know post it on society or you comment on one of our posts that you don't believe it's real those unfortunately don't count i mean we still love the comments we I love do. the I conversation love but but it, you should also go vote so that definitely. your vote is counted in this um we are each given one minute of uninterrupted time we will time each other on our cell phones because rebecca likes to sneak in extra seconds not true absolutely true so rebecca are you ready yes and let's begin all right so you know, we don't have hard numbers for this. And so it does make it difficult. However, like, I mean, I picked, you know, five today, but there are more. And again, I think what really struck me was that list of of people that wrote 10th symphonies. It's not that huge. I mean, I mean, even if you add another five to that list or 10 or something like you know, that's a pretty large percentage of people that write symphonies. Um, and so I do think it's a it's a high number. But I mean, I also understand that there are some valid reasons for that, you know, starting late and later in life or, you know, better, you know, health care, you know, or different, there are different kinds of symphonies. But I don't know, it still seems like a bit of a high number. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I can't t- say totally no. All right. You tried to sneak in some extra seconds No, I there, finished it right on time. But you weren't able to. <laughs> All right. Are you ready? I am. Okay. And go. 
So it's very interesting that Rebecca did bring up five people, one of which that I had actually dismissed in the Pat Facts. So, but anyways, out of those five people, uh, two of them probably shouldn't even have been on the list to begin with. And uh, that would bring us to three. But actually, there are eight composers that are listed under the Curse of the Ninth. Not, they couldn't even make it to nine to make it a better number for this. So, because um, that would make more sense then, right? Oh, it was nine composers are going to die between their ninth and their tenth. But no, it was eight. And uh, therefore, I, I don't see any reason for this curse. There's no reason given. There's no reason why it stopped. And 20 composers have written beyond their ninth. I don't know how many died before their ninth, though. That's it. That's it. You made it right there towards the end. Yeah. So, wow, that was a very interesting episode. I mean, I love hearing about these kind of things, and I love the conversation that we had. Um, It's just unfortunate that it's just not true. I mean... I wish it was. <laughs> well, I'm interested in hearing what you all think about it. I am too. But I want to thank everyone so much for listening. Please share us with your friends and family. As we always say, word of mouth is our best advertisement. We need you to tell people about us so that more people listen and more people can vote. Yeah, and it's really um, it's really great. We really appreciate it. Uh, we're getting into spooky season, so this is the time to uh, you know let let people know um, and uh, get ready, get geared up. We got some awesome episodes coming up. Absolutely, and uh, I would like to do a little mini shout out here to our VIP patrons, which we consider our producers. We we have a. Um, ghostly AMA every single month where we talk with them about future episodes and their thoughts about it and stuff like that. And that really helps us to be able to develop these episodes. So the first one is Carrie, Becky, Natalie, Kim, Ta, Ernie, Marisol, Shayla, Cindy, Kevin, Nicole, Darnay, Jessica, Alice, Austin, Aaron, Hope, and Candy. And also I would like to Go back in time here a little bit because today is August 3rd when the episode comes out. But on July 31st, it was one of these people's birthdays. It was Jessica's birthday. And she always attends our AMAs and she always supports us in everything that that um, we do. So I just want to give her a shout out, a special one, and say happy birthday, Jessica. We really appreciate your efforts. Absolutely. Yeah, you are a uh, an awesome listener and we appreciate your support. And an awesome person. Yes. She she likes wrestling. <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. Um so the next episode is actually going to mark a milestone for Ghostly. Do you know what that milestone is? Uh, you tell me. It's our 100th episode, Rebecca. What? Cuz this was our 99th and so the next one's the 100th. That's how it goes. Yeah, we just add uh, one to okay. it. Yeah. And we didn't die during this episode. so I, We could have the curse. Everyone give us hope. Okay. Curse of the ninth. Let's see if we can make it. There's a lot of podcasts that go beyond the hundredth episode. <laughs> so I'm just saying. But there's actually a lot that don't. Yeah. But in that hundredth episode, we plan on talking about a place that's really interesting because me and Rebecca have both been there. We've been there together. We've been there separately. We have, uh, we've, 
both enjoyed our time and also probably were saddened by our time there. <laughs> That's true. At Wrigley Field, home of the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, it's so excited. We're coming back to Chicago for that 100th episode. Of course, how could we not? Yeah. How could we not do one about uh, one of our favorite places in Chicago? Absolutely. So it's a, excited. It's a great place to see a game, even if you're not a Cubs fan, which you should be. But uh, <laughs> even if you're not a fan, it's a great place to see a game. It is the second oldest stadium in the in In, in the country. In Major League uh, Baseball, but in the National League, mm -hmm. it's actually the oldest. Yes, definitely. And you know what? I know we have a lot of Chicago listeners or people who come to Chicago. So if you have a story about Wrigley Field, it doesn't have to be a ghost story. but Yeah, just a fun story. Just a fun story um, of your time at Wrigley. Uh, Most of it is probably that you got drunk. Uh, probably, but that's yeah. all right. Mm -hmm. uh, send us an email about it. Yeah. We'd love to share it. One interesting fact about Wrigley Field that people from Chicago don't necessarily know is that most modern um, stadiums, they have these automated scoreboards, right? Yes. Where Wrigley does it manually still. Like old school, like a person has to be up there and put numbers up on the board. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's fun. It is, definitely. It is, yeah. So, um, but that is... Coming out on August 17th. And until then, stay ghostly. Bye.